Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome to the Sun Cinema Podcast, a weekly radio show that examines the highs and lows of the medium of film through the filtered lens of Washington, D.C.'s only privately owned art house cinema. I am your host, Jason Cauley. I'm joined by my co-hosts and the proprietors of Sun Cinema, David Cabrera and Ryan Hunter Mitchell. Gentlemen, how you doing, Jason? Doing well, Dave. How you Hi, doing? Jason. Ah, we're back at it. Oh, um, Here we are. Yeah, we're coming to you live from the full service radio station inside the glorious Lion Hotel in the Adams Morgan neighborhood of our nation's capital. Today, we're going to take a closer look at the January programming at Sun Cinema. Do a deeper dive and discuss one of the most influential films in cinema history. And later we'll speak with Brightest Young Things CEO Svetlana Legadich about some special programming coming to the cinema this month under the moniker of BYT Murder Club. It's a month of murder and mystery at Sun Cinema, so please join us, won't you? As we head down some dark alleys, look for clues, white Russians in hand, and seek out the truth in a world of celluloid whodunits. All right. Well, actually, the uh, the month is just titled question mark, 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 question mark. Excellent. I think. Is it the right amount? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. So this this month we decided to, I don't know, do mystery. We figure it's a nice cold January time to get into the mysterious. There's something about the winter and and like mystery whodunit type stuff. I mean, there's something about that like cuddled up and like huddled in and you know the darkness of a cinema yeah it'll make it all works not trust who you're cuddling up to (laughs) perfect uh so we wanted to yeah can you walk us through a little bit ryan about okay january well we wanted to do mystery which obviously entails a lot of like the whodunits the crime capers but also we wanted to maybe explore what else mystery can mean so we had a few like subplots or, or sub themes based on the days of the week. Um, I don't know, David, if you want to kind of explain January's calendar. Sure. Uh, so basically, we broke it down in a couple ways. Uh, every Sunday uh, is an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Uh, those are in chronological order. So we're starting with Rope, Rear Window, Vertigo, Ooh, North by Northwest. Um, the other obvious things are the Thursdays we're doing uh, the BYT Murder Club that will. Uh, dive into a little bit later. Uh, Fridays are all classics, starting with Citizen Kane, Blow Up, Manhunter, The Game. Uh, Saturdays are all comedies, The Naked Gun, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Big Lebowski. Uh, Then we have a comedy show uh, on the last Saturday of the month. And Tuesdays are some of our personal favorites. Yeah, Um, just the the ones we like. A mod podge of of stuff that we're uh, excited about, um, which we'll delve into later as well. And then uh, the Wednesdays are looser nights where we show some of our favorite TV shows. Um, we have a murder mystery cocktail caper coming up later in the month. Um, and yeah, that's about it. That sounds like a full month of fun. 
Yeah. Should be good. Fun and death. And yeah. yeah. Speaking of, of tonight, I think uh, this kind of uh, jumps right into to one of the things we've been discussing heavily over the last week, right? Yeah. Uh, tonight we're going to be showing Akira Kurosawa's 1950 masterpiece Rashomon, and we'll get a little more into that later and how it's groundbreaking and how it functions as a mystery. Right. Um, but aside from maybe death and detective capers... Um, we really wanted to open up the idea of like, what is mystery? Um, is it just that something's unknown? Right. Well, I think that that's the ultimate driver in the genre, right? I mean, there's a murder has happened. There is something unknown, either in the case of the whodunits, you know, who committed this murder or this crime, uh, or there's the more psychological pieces. Dave, you talked about it earlier. Uh, Citizen Kane is a perfect example of of a, a mystery that doesn't really involve a murder. There's a death, but there's no murder. It's just this one word that's been uttered, Rosebud, and we don't know Rosebud. the meaning and where this came from. So to me, murder isn't just the only you know driving engine behind mystery. It's just there's an unanswered question that allows that to become the engine for the rest of the film. Um, and for us, with that point, you know, we're trying to, it's, our cinema's real small. We like it to be interactive. Right. And mystery is specifically very interactive with uh, the viewer. You know, you're kind of, it's, what do you know? Uh, when do you know it? How are you shown? What are you trying to find out? The whole time, you as a viewer are trying to put this together. It's a little more active. You're not just watching a story unfold. You're trying to figure out what the hell's going on or what the motivations are for right. anything. So mystery specifically helps us like have everyone interacting, everyone thinking the whole time. Yeah, and it's not just the Hitchcock. I mean, Hitchcock does that kind of mystery suspense arguably better than anyone. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, there's a host of films just in the lineup of this, this month where even you know something like The Big Lebowski... Uh, on a lighter side of it or, or you know, something like the game uh, where the viewer is just kind of taken along for the ride and part of it is just the fun of the ride, you yeah. know, as the viewer, as you're, as you're gathering information, as you're finding these things out along with quite often the narrator of the film or the lead character, um, you get to experience it almost like in real time. Yeah. And that's and, part of the fun. And I don't know about you guys, when I watch any of these or any mystery movie i'm trying to figure it out before they do sure right of course and that's or even just trying to figure it out before anyone else in the room that you're yeah. watching it with yeah exactly. there's something very special about that moment where you're like oh i got it yeah i'm smarter than everyone i'm yeah. smarter and then yell than it out. everyone yeah. <laughs> yeah and then ruin exactly. it for everyone yeah so that's what we like to bring is people who can like get to the end first and tell everyone else, <laughs> right. everyone else you know loudly they'll probably have a better version of getting there than <laughs> right. yeah uh, <laughs> I think that's it, though. I think there's just, it's any type, you know, when you're talking about mystery, anything that kind of evokes this, we're going on, a, we're going on this journey, and, you know, who can get there quicker? Can you get there before the lead character? Are you getting there at the same time? Uh, or in the case of other things like Columbo. Columbo would be a, as the a, opposite. Yeah, it would be the exact opposite, and I think it's insanely brilliant. I can talk about Columbo all day, but the idea that 
you know, we're going to set this up. We're going to show you exactly what happened. And the mystery becomes how can this beloved character of Columbo, Detective, you know, Columbo, get us to the answer? How's he going to get his man or woman by the end? You're listening to the Columbo Hour with Jason <laughs> yeah, Collier. Hey. I, I happily welcome that podcast. <laughs> Actually, when we were talking about what TV shows we were going to do, Columbo was on the list, and I kind of vetoed it because I was like, you know, they tell you who did it in the beginning. So, but I realized Such that was shame. kind of a jerk move on my part. What, what else do we have for TV this month? Like, what's the, our mystery the TV? The X Files. Okay. Yeah, somebody. I mean, like, we should discuss it. Like Wednesdays, you guys are doing truly just television mysteries, right? The first three, yeah. Yeah, and so then you've got that a one, Scooby. Scooby Doo. Episodes of Scooby. Um, Scooby Doo. And then Veronica Mars, which I'm not well acquainted with. But. I just, I knew we would be receiving death threats if we didn't put Veronica Mars right. on this month, so. I probably would have sent one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's America's sweetheart. All right. Um, the, this is a thing that I kind of popped into our notes here about why, how we were scheduling this month, which was like, why does cinema, or why, how is cinema made better by mystery genre? Right. Um, what makes mystery so great and so specific in how it progresses cinema. Yeah. Uh, anyone got an answer for that? Because I don't. Well, no, I think, you know, mystery, when it's done extremely well, um, kind of, and, and is just great cinema at the same time, it, it does kind of force you to ask some potentially ethical questions or moral mm-hmm. questions of yourself. Yeah. Uh, the films, you know, that do that extremely, extremely well, like a Rashomon, um, or pick your Hitchcock favorite, but it, uh, quite often puts you in in the space. Like I think Rear Window is a perfect example, where you're kind of in for this mystery and it's going to be fun, but you get to be a voyeur through a voyeur, so you don't have the moral or ethical conflict. Um, but I mean. To me, like Rear Window is a perfect example yeah. of that. Yeah, just to piggyback real quick, I, 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 film does provide a, 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 an easier avenue, like you said, to address some things that you might not want to otherwise uh, deal with in deal real with life. In real life, yeah, yeah it's, it's entertainment, and therefore you can. Oh, yeah, that's dark, but interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and ultimately, out of that, when you're watching it, you're more able to make these observations you're looking from outside yeah there's a there's a reserve of you being out of that element and also interacting with it but from a safe connect and yeah and well and then hopefully after the fact or hopefully with any film if you if there's anything good about it you start asking those same questions you asked during that movie you start asking about your own interactions in life uh your how do you know what's really going on in any situation it's not just film but so rethink your circumstances yourself, your version of a story, which I think leads us into our next conversation, um, a detailed conversation about a great movie that we're completely underqualified to talk about, <laughs> yeah. Rashomon. But first, we're going to take a break. You've been listening to the Sun Cinema Podcast, and we're going to reconvene in just a minute.
the lab, I drop. Drop it, drop it, drop the truth. Back, back to the lab, I drop. Drop it, drop it, drop the truth. Back, back to the lab, I drop. Drop it, drop it, drop the truth. Back, back to the lab, I drop. Drop it, drop it, drop the truth. Back, back to the lab, I drop. Drop it, drop it, drop the truth. Back, back to the lab, I drop. Drop it, drop it, drop the truth. Back, back to the lab, I drop. Drop it, drop it, drop the truth. And today's mysterious break song It's called Dope Springs Eternal By Space Disease Out of Brooklyn We'll be right back on the Sun Cinema Podcast Come on, Mama Japan will be fun You like Russia, Mom? That's not how I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, welcome back. You're listening to the Sun Cinema Podcast from the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. Um, if you want to take a look at our calendar, you can visit suncinema.com or you can check out our Instagram. David, what's our Instagram? Sun Cinema. S-U-N-S. <laughs> cinema. Nothing. Yeah. Same with the Perfect. Twitter and the Yeah, at Sun Cinema. You, can, you guys post the calendar there as well. It is available there. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, so come find us. Uh, tonight we're going to be showing Akira Kurosawa's 1950 Rashomon. Mm. Uh, this is essentially a movie about four interpretations of the same murder. And you've just heard... It's a very simple film. Marge and <laughs> Homer basically do a much better version of a rundown than we ever will. Right. Which Marge says, oh, come on, Homer, you saw Rashomon and you liked it. And he says, well, that's not how I remember it. Yeah, and it's, it's a perfect snippet of exactly what this film is. You're talking about um, 1950 black and white cinema that is just, from the jump, a, a piece of, of cinema that is going to last forever and has been as influential as... Some of the other films that are on January's list at Sun Cinema, like Citizen Kane. I mean, the influence and reach of Rashomon is insane. We're going to try to not spoil this, even yeah, though it's gonna you've be had hard. 77, eight years, whichever, yeah. or however yeah. many, to, to watch this movie, or 60. <laughs> I, I can't count, but we've had a long time to watch it. But if you haven't, uh, we'll try not to spoil this for you. But, like I said, essentially, uh, someone gets murdered... And you hear the tales of all of the witnesses to this murder, whether they were actively involved or just a distant bystander. And some of these accounts are contradictory, and sometimes they corroborate, and it's really interesting how those happen. Uh, I guess this is... Jason, did you bring this up, that this has been like a psychological term now? Yeah, this is the Rashomon effect, which, you know, it seems... I guess in, in psychology, in the world of psychology, is a very common term now, uh, did not exist before this movie. The movie actually coined the term, the Rashomon effect, where you essentially, anytime you have multiple parties taking part in an event and then disagreeing on the outcomes of that event is now known as the Rashomon effect, just based on exactly how this movie plays out, 
where you've got a cast of characters, a woodcutter, a priest, a local commoner, uh, and the wife of the slain victim, um, all telling, all retelling their account of a story yeah. as it went down. And the brilliance of it is not just in these varying takes on this event, but how it puts you as the viewer in the position of the interrogator or the counsel. They literally, Kurosawa literally shoots this dead on to where um, the people recounting this event are speaking right into the camera and right into your, right into the viewer's eyeballs. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's right, it's right at you. Um, briefly, this makes you think about like, what the motivations for anyone's version of any story is. And in, in this story particularly, what I saw is like, the motivations for so- why someone might tell their version and highlighting specific details. It, sometimes it's just an outright lie. Sometimes it's like, deeply uh, based in their insecurities or in a goal of like explaining their own self-righteousness, or maybe the motivation is guilt. I mean, it's so complex and how, as you're hearing everyone's story, you're really kind of wondering like, why is anyone explaining this this way? Why is this different than the last person's? And what I thought was interesting in this is that when everyone's lying, this is kind of a spoiler, it doesn't seem that anyone's lying to get out of being convicted for the crime. Like, that's not what the lies come from. Like, the most base reason right. I would lie is I don't want to get arrested. But for sure. these guys, it's, it's it's really based in something else. It's based on, and I, I'm pulling this directly from Kurosawa. It's my favorite quote of, of his about Rashomon. And he said, basically, Rashomon boils down to one thing, and that is the quicksand of ego. Hmm. That the minute there is question, conflict, concern over how an event took place, the participants of that event automatically filter their answers and their version of the story through their own ego. So what do I have to gain? What do I have to lose? How does this make me look? Like you said, I mean, I think a great example, um, when you're talking about the bandit, he's not even really trying to get out of anything right he's he's absolutely saying oh yeah no i did it but let me tell you how glorious it was yeah <laughs> you know let me tell you how glorious i was in the doing of it i'm going to seduce this woman on a trail i'm going to kill her samurai husband you know i am the best and greatest bandit of all time and you know this it was an admirable fight which we see in other versions may not have been so admirable uh-huh. of a fight uh but the yeah. quicksand of ego, I think, from Kurosawa himself as a quote about what this movie is, is completely brilliant. They talk about, uh, there's a, also another theory out there in psychology called Plato's Cave. And Plato's Cave basically was Plato saying, you know, you're in the darkness the second ego becomes part of any equation. And especially when that ego is pushing up against other egos. And it takes truly finding truth to get back into the light and until you can do that you're forever lost in the shadows of ego uh which i think is you know plato's a pretty smart guy yeah yeah <laughs> so and this and this uh also speaks to like how unqualified we are to speak about yeah. this movie no that's why i went uh, to plato that's yeah. why i went to curacao because i sure am not the guy to exactly talk about this. um well you're probably well, more than i am 
So I then we get to after the bandit, we get the woman's account, um, which is maybe the most divergent from the others. Absolutely. It, and I'll not explain hers, but hers, for, as far as I can tell, if she's lying, it's motivated by guilt and by trying to understand. Well, I think there's a, a piece of it where she's. You got to understand the time frame that that this is is happening in Japan. She is a woman who has now been widowed and possibly widowed as, you know, at her own hand. Uh, so there's definitely the guilt that you talked about, but there's also her putting herself in this position of mercy to be granted to her because, you know, she found herself in this horrible situation. This is at the same time, while there's guilt, it's also not her fault. You know, the bandit approached them and, you know, there's, there's a ton of good stuff out there. If you if you really want to take a deep dive, the Criterion Collections uh, got a great interview. It's about an eight minute interview with Robert Altman, uh, where he talks about Rashomon and the effect it had on him and his filmmaking early on. Uh, Dave's got a book I think sitting on the table right now uh, that you guys have both kind of gone through. It's pretty amazing, right? Yeah, what's that book that you've been? Oh yeah, it's uh, Kurosawa's Rashomon, a vanished city. Uh, a lost brother in the voice inside his iconic films. Who wrote that? Uh, Paul Anderer. Yeah, that's an un- un- unfortunate, unfortunate name. name. Could, be, <laughs> could be Phil, but Phil Anderer. Yeah, <laughs> no, Paul Anderer. Yeah, um, but there's there's a reason there's so much stuff out there on this film. If totally. you go to YouTube and type in Rashomon, you're going to get the phone book uh, to mix metaphors, and and it's absolutely worth viewing because about half of them are psychologists talking about this film oh, and, and I, how, I believe it how it affected them so after the the woman's testimony uh this we get to a really interesting great use of special effects or what i'm assuming at the time were what we'd call special yeah. effects um so how the husband or the murdered husband explains his version is scary as hell i was trying to imagine watching this in 1950 they have the creepiest voice of the Uh, medium medium yeah that it's it gets into some real surreal territory and yeah they use some kind of fantasy uh licensing you know with that but in the and i'm usually anti any of that except in the hands of kurosawa who does it (laughs) consistently brilliantly and it's no exception here yeah, and th- through the testimony that you hear of him, uh, he seems to just seek to give himself honor right? Um, or to apply dishonor to other characters, and th- that's worth watching just for the... Oh, God, that performance. Uh, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, now, I, I kind of want to bring it to how this all... Who, who's retelling the retellings to each other? You have a commoner, a woodcutter, and a priest all hanging out avoiding the rain underneath Rashomon Gate in Kyoto, and it's storming, there's a huge monsoon. And just by watching these people tell the stories to each other, it's beyond the subjective account of what just happened. You're also seeing how they either can't come to terms with it or how they decide to come to terms with each version of the story. You know, the priest is basically losing his faith in right. humanity through this whole thing. He's just <laughs> terrified. Um, the the woodcutter is just shaken because he's seen a lot, and the commoner. Uh, to me, this reminded me of like Russ Cole from True Detective. 
the commoner in this is just like he's already accepted that men are awful, humanity's trash, and he's just getting a kick out of the stories. So Russ I think, Cole connection, nice. Yeah, uh, it's a stretch. No, but I, I agree. Circle. He's he's definitely to me like you know, uh, almost like a, a classic New Yorker type of character that when something's happening in New York, you always get that cutaway to the guy like, you know, who, who's upset, not that the world is ending, but because, you know, his, his taxi cab's now going to be late or something like that. Yeah. It's like, of course, you know, only in New York. This almost has that kind of, you know, well, the commoner kind of takes the approach of like, well, of course that's how people act. Yeah. Of course not this surprised. is how people are. Yeah. Not surprised at oh, all. Oh, I think he has a line... Uh, he's like, well, we all want to forget something, so we tell stories. It's easier yeah. that way. And I think that's one of the most telling lines in the entire movie. I mean, it yeah. really, it really does kind of sum that up in a sense. Like, what you're going to, what you're about to get, is yeah. not necessarily the truth, but the truth filtered through someone else's ego. De- definitely. And you know, by the end of watching this movie, you're. For me, you're less interested in what actually happened. You're more just interested, like, how does each person see it this way? Yeah. Like, what makes them see it this way? What makes them tell it this way? And either it's this real complex human condition that we're trying to understand, or it's just that everyone lies, and you should already know that. (laughs) Right. I wanted to talk just a little bit, too, about kind of weather and Kurosawa's use of weather... uh, really in this film is he does it so well in everything but I think Rashomon might be exceptional in the sense of just the everything from you know the wind and the rain when they're when they're sitting there under the gate yep. uh, the shadow the harsh shadows in the forest um, the intense spotlighting in the forest but that opening sequence with that rain like really puts you in a moment yeah you know the it's a perfect opportunity for these characters to come together. Everybody's just trying to get out and get, you know, safe. And then it's just a perfect backdrop for what's about to unfold. Uh, and it's almost the reverse of that at the end of the movie when, when, they, when he's taking the baby out. It's morning, sun's coming up. Yeah, you know, and everything's and, breaking. Yeah, everything's breaking and we're, we're about to start anew. There is some hope. And for that priest, that's the yeah, moment maybe. where maybe there's some hope. You know, uh, yeah, I I feel like with Kurosawa, he's known for if it's raining, he he's picking which direction the rain's blowing. Exactly. You know, it's, what, what's the story about like Scorsese tried to give Kurosawa a drawing that he did of one of his scenes, that and it's like this highly that. detailed drawings. I think when they were making Dreams, yeah, and he gave it to Kurosawa, and Kurosawa's like, he he was holding it in his other hand. Like, right, right, he just, right. He's so detail-oriented, so yeah. he knows everything that's going on. All right, well, hopefully we've left you completely confused about this movie. And <laughs> hey, the point is, see this film. I mean, it really will. If it's not in your lexicon of, of you know, cinema knowledge, it should be. Yeah. You know, it's almost like Bob Dylan's uh, Blonde on Blonde. Like, if you don't have this in your collection, you're wrong. So Rashomon <laughs> feels the same way. Yeah, if uh, if you don't have a ticket for tonight's screening, which is already sold out, um, catch it. It's on Filmstruck. Yeah, or rent it. Spend twenty six bucks. Go on to the Blockbuster and, and get it. You know, yeah, go to your local Blockbuster and pick it up. Yeah. All right, we're we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, oh, when we come back, we're gonna have our first guest on the show, and it's gonna be exciting, and we're gonna have a good time.
mysterious break music. This one's called Tulum, also from the Brooklyn-based Space Disease. We'll be right back on Sun Cinema Podcast. If you Google best TV murder mysteries, the first thing that pops up is a link to an article written by our next guest, the co-founder and CEO of Brightest Young Things, Svetlana Legadich. Svetlana, welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. I wasn't ready for the applause. Well, you should be by this point. <laughs> um, Svetlana owns operates uh brightest young things which is an entertainment media mecca here in dc and new york and chicago and uh one of the things she is most passionate about in her personal (laughs) life and has spilled over to her professional life as you'll soon find out uh is murder mystery and so what is it i'll take the first question here guys what is it that you find so compelling about this genre um, I think there's something really attractive about a puzzle, you know, as, mm. as a hobby. I think we, in many ways, like why people check crossword puzzles or, you know, play games or, um, you know, heading towards a solution that actually is possibly attainable mm. <laughs> in mm, life yeah. um, is really attractive. And then... I actually read somewhere that women in particular are particularly attracted to crime um, content, which apparently is true. Um, maybe because, you know, in, in like a dark time and, and a troubling time, um, being able to like access like a darker side of human brain in a way that isn't necessarily detrimental to your everyday uh. life or anything else, um, kind of accessing it in sort of like a safe way, right. I guess, um, is very appealing. I live a relatively stressful existence, and sitting <laughs> sitting down to like an hour and a half of a masterpiece mystery that I know is going to tie itself off beautifully and elegantly with a bow, there's just something... Um, very calming about it. So yeah. I have spent thousands of hours doing that <laughs> in an effort uh, to regain sanity. Yeah, I think you hit on something too we hadn't mentioned yet that that kind of tied upness of most mysteries. Um, you get that we have the answer at the end. There's something nice, generally speaking, mm-hmm. not always the case. Uh, the Rashomons and Mementos of the world and all those, yeah. but. Generally speaking, you've got an answer, who done it, what Rosebud is, you know, all of these things come to some conclusion. Yeah, what happened on the Orient Express? Yeah, yeah. what <laughs> happened on the Orient Express? We figured it out. Well, yeah, but so for instance, with the Orient Express or any movie, which was there like a certain movie or book or piece of fiction that, that made you become such a, I mean, you're basically an authority on murder mystery. <laughs> Um, so what they are not telling you is that hmm. <laughs> when they had decided to do this question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark month, I uh, barraged Ryan and Dave with emails with possibly like a thousand ideas. There was, was a lot. Like <laughs> there were good ones. <laughs> so many good yeah. movies in this list. Um, I was like, this, these are so many things that you can do. And I feel like there are obviously certain kind of obvious entry points into the genre for, for most people, whether it is... 
um, you know, the novels of Agatha Christie um, and the adaptations that came from that, uh, whether it is um, uh, Hitchcock, obviously, who I know a day of the week is dedicated to, and I'm very excited about that. Um, but for me, I can't necessarily like pinpoint a single idea. I always enjoyed reading reading the books, and I still very much enjoy reading mystery books. Um, but you know, probably some combination of early Fincher, which landed around the time when I was when it felt just like not appropriate enough for me to be watching it. Um, yeah. Silence of the Lambs, obviously, like such a classic. Um, so, yeah. you know, yeah. I'd, I'd say that there. <laughs> there's okay. A, there's a good Manhunter Silence of the Lambs connection this month. So Ooh, nice. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, Murder on the Orient Express, the original 1970s one, is one of my favorite mystery movies of all time. 1974 was Sidney Lumet. Just if anyone's out there and saw the new one, please go back and watch the watch 1974 the yeah. uh, Sidney Lumet version. It's the yes. goofiest Perot. Oh, God, Albert Finney and as Perot is the best. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about the lineup uh, for BYT Murder Club uh, this month. So we have Sleuth, uh, the original, uh, yeah, The Last of Sheila, uh, Murder by Death, and Clue. Uh, can you tell us why these films? Yeah, I mean, they all sort of harken back to that closed room mystery model that I feel works really well in winter. Yeah, the parlor yeah. mysteries. You yeah. know, the, the kind of cozy mystery vibe, but all of them are also profoundly like weird and... <laughs> <laughs> decidedly uncozy at times. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of thought a lot of these clue kind of gives you an idea of, of the type of movie, but a lot of these are underseen, which is something that I mm -hmm. love. Science well, I think you're one, you're one exception to the kind of parlor mystery is maybe, in my opinion, one of the most underseen and underappreciated films in that genre, which is The Last of Sheila. Still a parlor, just a parlor on a, a boat. A parlor on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, um, yeah, no, I think, I think it just, th there's something kind of like beautifully, uh, again, I'm going to keep using the word elegant, even though a lot of these movies are not necessarily like elegant per se, but about a finite amount of suspects mm -hmm. you know you're presented with a tableau of characters um usually in a very beautiful location where you know in british castles and in, in the mansion truman capote's mansion and on like a yacht in the south in, of france in the, in the south of france um and then something terrible happens mm -hmm. you know and this was supposed to be a vacation yeah or a, or a fun night. And all those elements are still at play in the backdrop as these things are happening, yeah. which is always just and, kind of... And the regular movie theaters, I mean, I think obviously there is an audience for it because the new Murder on the Express, as flawed as it is, has obviously been very successful. <laughs> um, but these are movies that just are not trendy necessarily, um, but deserve to be seen. And yeah. so I, feel, I felt that, that was a a good enough place and they kind of feel like a clubhouse anyway so when we kind of thought of doing a BYT murder club those kind of felt like a clubhouse murder yeah it's interesting you say um, that about these because at least with murder by death and clue 
they're almost like specifically for fans of mystery. Like oh, they're, yeah. they're self-aware. Like they're they're. Yeah. It's it's like inside jokes on inside jokes. Yeah. Right. Like, Every single one of these films is self-aware. That's a great yeah. way to put it. Yeah. And they are all. Um, I mean, some some pretty pretty fancy people directed and wrote to oh yeah <laughs> I mean Sleuth in 72 is you know Joseph L. Mankiewicz who's you know more famous uh, and most famous for All About Eve I mean right. these are these are heavy hitters uh, Last of Neil Sheila Simon was, wrote Murder yeah. by Death I mean yeah and Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins wrote Last of Sheila I mean look at that you know collection of, of two two guys about to write a very fun movie you know it was so much so much fun. Yeah. So, I mean, they definitely are intended for a fan's fan, but... Um, they're accessible, too. They're, yeah, they're very accessible. Yeah. It yeah. shouldn't stop anyone. No. Yeah. I think, like, if you enjoy Clue, which is likely the only movie you have seen in this mix, <laughs> you will be very pleasantly surprised by the quality of the other ones. Yeah. In the, in the, in the combination. I would say probably, like, Clue is maybe the weakest movie of the... Four, but like well, maybe the most fun <laughs> in terms of in terms of posterity. But I don't know about fun. Yeah, I mean in terms of obviously like its cultural value and, sure. and and the closed room. Yeah. and like the playfulness with the genre. I think obviously everyone's having a great time there. But. Yeah, sleuth. I mean, Michael Caine and and uh, Lawrence Olivier were both nominated for Academy Awards for that. So yeah. um, don't watch the remake. Don't watch the remake. Oh, okay. There's well, Dave. my question was going to be, what do you think young Michael Caine would think of the remake of Sleuth? But it sounds like you may Starring have old Michael Caine. Starring, Starting old, old Michael, Michael Caine. Caine. Right. Yeah, so, He's in both. So, speaking, speaking of just like total movie nerding out, right? So, the original Sleuth, which is this Thursday at Suns, um, on January 4th, features Laurence Olivier and... Who, as, as, a, as a man of, of land, of means, I, of means yeah. and land, uh, who welcomes a young man who is having an affair with his wife into his beautiful home and starts a game with him. In the early 2000s, because there are no more original ideas left <laughs> anywhere, uh, see Murder on the Orient Express 2017, um, <laughs> there is a remake made in which Michael Caine, now as a man in his 60s, plays Laurence Olivier's role, and the role of young Michael Caine is played by Jude Law. And It's also directed by Kenneth Branagh, by the way, <sighs> who directed Who's the just, new Orient Express. Just ruining, just ruining. Ruining classics right ruining and left. Classics. A Harry Potter fan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A Harry Potter fan. Um, and the problem with it is, not that these are not capable actors, not that the, the, you know, the, the story is really fun and everything else. The problem is that it's just so early 2000s, you know? Like, the original is so lo-fi and kind of fun. It, it truly feels like a game of, of man versus man, you know, and right. wits. And this, you know, you just, like, start and there's secret floors and fancy elevators and stupid blue and lights and cameras and surveillance. Yeah. And you're just like, oh. It's like, I don't care anymore. Yeah. Right. A lot like, of unnecessary additions. Of un- yeah. Much like the new Murder on the Orient Express. No, they want more stuff. That's true. Want right. more yeah, things. Got, yeah. got more stuff. Gotta spend that money. The original received five or six Academy Award nominations. The second one received nothing. Oh, what a shame. Well, I guess 
Are there any more recaps, any, any highlights for the murder club that we should know? Is there a future murder club later? Um, I mean, every, every, every day is murder club. I would say like the one you really need to see um, is The Last of Sheila. Um, it is almost impossible to get a hold of it. I don't think you can even necessarily rent it on Netflix if you have that oh. sweet, sweet DVD subscription. I, I already do? got the DVD. Okay, okay. Yeah, so we're good. Okay. Yeah, we're good. I own it, oh, yeah. you know, as, as, as per usual. <laughs> there are um, copies to be had. And yeah, it's yeah. just, like, the ultimate fun situation of what this is. You know, it's Hollywood. It's a, it's a yacht. It's uh, Raquel Welch in a bikini, which was, like, the only reason to have Raquel Welch in anything. Um, it's great. It's terrific. Um, and then... Yeah, we will be doing content on brightestyoungthings.com throughout the month that relates to murder. So oh, very cool. keep checking um, and also checking out our radio, BYT Radio, here on Thursdays. Oh, excellent. Maybe yeah. I will uh, manage to the get... The incomparable Brandon Weatherby, today's Dick yeah. Cavett. Yeah. yeah, well, he's like a pro at podcasts. He's been yeah. doing it for 10 years. We've been doing them for yes. 40 minutes. minutes. Uh, it says It says something about... Uh, them, him not inviting me as his first guest, <laughs> even though we sit next to each other, and he hears me talk about well, murder all day, every day. We would have no other first guests other than you. Yeah, you were you. top Absolutely. of our list. Thank you. Uh, I guess we should start getting towards wrapping this up. I, yeah. I, we had discussed different things we could discuss for like a quick minute each to go around. Uh, yeah, so we do the segment called Second Take where we each get a minute to just kind of riff on whatever's on our mind in the world of cinema. And because all of our minds have been taken with Rashomon over the last week, uh, either in viewing or in discussion, we thought we'd each take a minute to either talk about something about Rashomon or some film that you thought did a great job or maybe not so great job of ripping off Rashomon. Yeah, or, or, or. another <laughs> item is while we were talking about this, we realized we all <laughs> fell asleep watching Rashomon this weekend at various <laughs> points. <laughs> if anyone remembers which point they fell asleep. <laughs> well, and Dave, you had a point about that, right? Kurosawa said yeah, something about that. Yeah, I was trying that. to find the quote, but basically I remember reading somewhere something about Kurosawa wanting people to fall asleep during his movies, um, saying that they were you know supposed to be contemplative and so forth. Um, so we did it right. So we yeah. did it right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Ultimately the point. Um, well, my only take no is, is Jason. No yeah. regrets. No regrets. <laughs> Not one. Yeah. What's um, your minute? I just, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go off on a riff just briefly about um, my experience with Rashomon took place after I'd seen so many other, other films. Uh, I came to it uh, probably in the early 2000s originally. So, had quite a bit of stuff under my belt at that time. And the first time I watched it, it reminded me so much. And I, I realized, of course, its impact on films, even as strong and, and high, highly ranked and considered uh, to be some of the greatest films of all time. But one in particular was Goodfellas. And not so much in, you know, a mystery aspect, but just how the use, and Scorsese does it beautifully, but it's absolutely, in my mind, a little bit of a, a nod to Kurosawa in his ability to change narration. Mm -hmm. So we're, you know, 45 minutes into this movie, Ray Liotta's been our narrator the whole time, and then suddenly Lorraine Bracco shows up, and we shift narrators, and she takes over. And then there's a whole piece in the film where Joe Pesci 
is the narrator for a brief time where he's talking about the wild west of it all and how wonderful it all is ah. right as everything's about to start collapsing on them. Yeah. So that to me, Goodfellas, when I as soon as I saw Rashomon, the first thing I thought of was Goodfellas and went back and watched Goodfellas again um, and just had that immediate and undeniable uh, realization that, oh my gosh, yeah, this Kurosawa has just affected everyone. and infected everyone so much. So that's my, that's my second take. All right, well, I'm going to go with a pretty unpopular one, but uh, <laughs> if anyone's... <laughs> ever seen the movie Human Nature. It was yeah. a Michel Gondry collaboration that he directed with the screenwriter Charlie Kaufman, which they're known for some really great work, being John Malkovich, uh, Eternal Sunshine. Adaptation. Adapta- so they've done some great work. But Human Nature, which I actually think is pretty good, but it has a tomato meter score of 49% and an audience score of 61%, uh, I guess isn't one of their favorites. And luckily for them, it usually just gets unremembered uh but it rips off rashman to a t in its storytelling and it's actually pretty clever it uh it's it's basically what a woman's uh testifying in court one's in congress testifying to congress and then tim robbins has a bullet hole in his head and is in the afterlife explaining his account of uh, how this all happened right which also plays into the Rashomon yeah. afterlife, you know, with the with the medium coming. Exactly, in. and it's a uh, again maybe another good one to fall asleep to because I don't know that it's worth paying it strict <laughs> attention to in the way you should with Rashomon, but I I think it's a pretty pretty clever movie. Dave, you got one? I do. Uh, I'm going to do something a little controversial, but since we're talking about movies, uh, I'm going to use a. a you know, Back to the Future uh, sort of timeline. Citizen Kane actually uh, came out before Rashomon, uh, but does uh, utilize the Rashomon effect. Wait a minute, are you saying Orson Welles influenced other people? No. no. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never that. But yeah, it's basically where people are always watching people, watching people, and we're getting different takes on Kane's biography through like competing second and third hand perspectives via the reporters digging, etc., um, the sort of reflected perspective is also uh, very present. Um, wow, that's a good deep cut, Dave. Yeah, uh, yeah. I found like it on the lot. internet. But, you know. <laughs> no, I think it's good. Some would even say that Citizen Kane is better than Human Nature. Some might. Some. <laughs> yeah, it's arguable. <laughs> Always arguable. Hey, that's it for us on this week. We wanted to say thank you again to our special guest uh, Svetlana Legadich yeah, of Brighter Things. Again. And do come check out the BYT Murder Month at Suns. You can also find murder, us again. Murder Club. Murder Club. I'm sorry. BYT Murder Join Club. Club. Join the club. Join the club. Join the club. <laughs> um, also find us at sunscinema.com, uh, Twitter and Instagram at Sun Cinema. This has been yet another wonderful uh, outing for us, and we'll see you next week. The break song here is called Sea Sandwich by Rectech. You've been listening to Sun Cinema Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on Mixcloud.com slash Full Service Radio. 
Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.